Okay, so as you see on your guide, and as Fran mentioned as well, we are in the fourth Sunday of Lent out of six, so getting to the home stretch. Uh, but I don't know if you know this, but Sundays aren't actually counted in the days of Lent. Sundays are considered little Easter's. Each Sunday, another opportunity to allow resurrection to sink in deep and hopefully change our lives. I think that if every Sunday is like a little Easter, then the other days of the week are like little Lent's, in which we're constantly working to make space in our lives for the God stuff, the good stuff, the stuff that resurrection is made of. And that's really what this series has been about for us. The idea that making space, just making space at all, is in and of itself a sacred task. It is part of the liturgy of our lives. So, creating space is a discipline, and it requires discipline, and every choice we make with regards to care of creation, like Joe talked about two weeks ago, with regards to finances, like Preston talked about last week, with regards to time. It's all significant because it's all a part of the larger collective of peacemaking, kingdom work, the work of heaven on earth, which is our work. But before we can do anything in or for the world that is great, grand, and wonderful, we must first become practiced in daily loosening our own grips and opening our own hands. We must make space for God, which includes making space for whatever spiritual work is necessary for the God stuff to come flowing into our lives. Making space is holy work because we are clearing a path for abundance. I think there's a misconception about the word holy and who gets to use it, as if it's a word reserved for churchy things and churchy people. But contrary to popular opinion, holy work most often begins with practical, ordinary acts. So take communion. Matt delivers these pastoral words every week. And we take part in a corporate ritual together that is real and meaningful. But the holy work began at the grocery store when one of the deacons picked up the bread and the juice. And it continued in the kitchen over there where another deacon poured the juice into chalices and tore the bread into pieces. And this is just one teeny tiny example of practical, ordinary stuff turned, inspired, transformative God stuff. And so this is where we begin as well in our daily lives. We walk this Lenten road keen on examining our own footprint in the world, and we discover when we really turn inward and assess the situation, we often discover something akin to weariness. We want to do great things, right? We want to do bigger and better things than whatever it is that we're already doing. But we are overwhelmed or intimidated, or tired, or maybe we're anxious, or depressed. We're busy. We don't have time. Extra time. And yet, every day is the same, and no matter any of our circumstances, we all get the same 24 hours, right? So see, making space is holy work, and it can be overwhelming trying to figure out where to begin making changes in our life, making that space 
possible. Thankfully, one of the reasons I think we come here week after week after week is to be reminded in so many ways that our compass and our driving force behind all of this is Jesus. We have a reason. We walk this Lenten road because of Jesus. We value the life of faith at all because of Jesus. His life, his teachings, his redemptive acts of resurrection and resurrecting, we just can't get enough of it. We can't get enough of his radical love, which is so wonderfully reflected in our gospel lectionary reading today. The story of the prodigal son, in which Jesus intentionally uses this parable to further his agenda, he had an agenda, of inclusion. Prior to this, the text says that the tax collectors and the sinners, a.k.a. the unaccepted social pariahs, were listening and responding to what Jesus had to say. They were drawing toward the center, toward the watering hole that is the abundant love of God. Jesus was offering them water, and they were drinking. And the religious leaders educated, the important people of privilege who had all their boxes checked were pissed. They were baffled that these nobody people were being accepted just like that without without having to do any of the work. They were unconditionally accepted just as they were without having to change anything about themselves. This ministry of radical inclusion infuriated the most religious. And so Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son in response to this. He wants to prove a point. He wants everyone to understand that the life of faith is not about who is in or who is out. The life of faith is not even about getting it right. And as much as we would really like it, the gift of following God is not validation. Wouldn't that be nice? But there is a gift, and the gift is time. All the extra time you get knowing God and, by extension, knowing who you are and what matters in your life and all that is yours because of the awareness of the Spirit of God in you. The gift is time. And that other son, the one who stayed devoted, the one who never broke the rules or left his father's side, he didn't even realize what a gift he had because he was comparing himself to somebody else. But he had it. No time lost, no time wasted, eyes wide open, every moment significant. This is the gift of the life of faith. No time wasted. Now I'm going to try and bring this back down to earth with a story. I don't know about you, but I hate wasting time. And even more than that, I really hate it when my time is being wasted. And I'm going to drag Jana into the story. Now she knows. <laughs> I, I told her she was going to make an appearance in the sermon this week, and she said she had no idea what, but she already knows where I'm going with this. Uh, so Jana's right here. She's one of our deacons. And Jana and I went to grad school together. I'm a pastor with an MDiv, but I also have a Master of Social Work, and Jana is a clinical social worker, but she also has an MDiv, and we did both of those graduate programs together at the same time, and that's how we know each other. Um, but back when we were in grad school, for good or for bad, 
we had a class that just felt not like a complete waste of time, more like a complete waste of our lives. And grad school is hard. Like, grad school is intense. There's a lot of work. And Jan and I were both doing two programs at the same time. So it was really frustrating that this class wasn't challenging in the least. I won't say which program it's from. But it got so irritating that one day, right before the mid-class break, because it was a three-hour class, we looked at each other from across the room with understanding and a nod. And when the class break arrived, we both grabbed our bags and we left. <laughs> and you know what we did instead? We went to the movies. <laughs> we went to the movies. And it might sound bad or disrespectful or whatever. I've told this story before and people have different opinions about it. But I am convinced that we needed that moment of spontaneity and self-care and even defiance. <laughs> and the thing is, I can't even, I remember what program it was from, but I don't remember what the class was. Jana might remember, she has better memory than me, but I don't remember what the class even was. But I remember the movie, and I remember the time with Jana, and we bonded, and now look, here we are today. <laughs> and that, you know, that has stuck with me. And the reason why I share this is because as we talk about time and think about the way that we manage time in our own lives, we discover it's a pretty complex conversation and it's not black and white. Because sometimes the best use of our time doesn't make sense with what we're supposed to be doing or what we should be doing. Time management is ultimately about prioritizing our lives, right? And at the end of the day, nobody can do that for you. You can get advice, people can look at your life and tell you what they think, but only you know really what you need and what's best for your family. And most likely you're gonna have to rewrite that formula again and again. So the way that we spend our time should look like this balancing act between not doing the things we're supposed to be doing I call this play or heart, and doing the things that we really don't feel like doing, but it would be good and best for our lives if we did it anyway. Discipline, work, head stuff. <laughs> it's funny that the theme of this sermon fell to me because I struggle with time management, in my opinion. I struggle with that a lot, and I, I'm always asking for advice about it. And like many of us, I waste away hours on my phone each week just scrolling through nothingness and never getting those hours back and not learning or getting anything from it. I struggle with setting boundaries. I'm constantly navigating the tension between working and being a good mom. I feel guilty that I can't seem to find the time to do more service projects or activism. Making space for time is hard, especially when many of us are stuck in a cycle of wasteful habits. It's hard to break that rhythm. So can you see now how making space could be holy work? At the very least, it's because maybe some divine help is needed to make changes. Everything you can possibly read on time management mentions goals. And so as you think about the way that you spend your time week in, week out, and the areas in which you'd like to make changes or maybe trim off some excess fat, ask yourself, what's your goal? Do you know your goal? your life goal, your yearly goal, what, what are, what's your goal? What drives you? Our priorities reflect our goals, 
And the way we use our time reflects our priorities. So maybe we ought to make it our attention to actually know our goals instead of letting our overwhelmed lives decide for us. Let's reclaim our purpose so that we can prioritize more effectively. So ask yourself, what kind of goals do you need to be setting in a different place in life? I've been thinking about this in my own life, and obviously I can't answer that question for you. But I can offer a collective suggestion and reminder for all of us to share in terms of our goal as people of faith. And this is where today's lectionary reading from 2 Corinthians comes in handy because it's a mega reminder to us of our ultimate calling as followers of Jesus, our end goal, which is always, always, always the work of reconciliation on every level with ourselves, with others, with God, all of creation, as it says in the text, everything made new. Reconciliation. At the core of all we do, this is the task of our time on earth. So we are in the time or the season of Lent. And we say again and again that Lent is all about waiting, about hunkering down in the darkness, sifting through our muck, spiritual spring cleaning. We say that Lent is about making space. But for what? Easter? Yes. Resurrection? Yes. Resurrection work? Warmer. The resurrection work is reconciliation. So we devote ourselves to it, and we start first with God. Because as we approach the glory of God regularly through our own spiritual practice, whatever that looks like for you, the faster our hearts will begin to beat. And as that thumping becomes more and more in sync with God's own heart, we begin to see more of what God sees and how God sees it. And we are compelled by the Spirit of God within us to be a part of that work, that work of reconciliation with ourselves, with others, with God, with all of creation Everything made new. Maybe this is why we, can't, we can get so irritated when we sense our time being wasted or when we can't seem to quit wasting the time we have. Maybe the God in us is constantly aching to use our time in a spirit-filled way, one that looks like practicing peace, one that involves the work of reconciliation with creator and creation. Maybe the God in us aches to make all things new. Even when we aren't being mindful of our time, it aches. Maybe the more in sync we are with God, the more productive this aching becomes. Maybe it is channeled through the way we use our time. So the question is, what are we doing with our time? Practically and spiritually, it's all the same. Do we know our goals? Are we in tune with the end goal of reconciliation work that shapes the life of a believer? Lent is the perfect season to evaluate the answers to questions like these. It's the perfect time to monitor your typical rhythm and question whether or not you are making space for the God stuff. What are you doing with your time? Does it reflect a bent toward reconciliation work? This work, yes, is the work of peace. And peacemaking is a huge work. We know that peacemaking is actually really disruptive. 
We know that it's tearing down old systems that don't serve everyone and building something new. We know that it is transforming the church. We know that it's shifting paradigms and changing narratives. We know that it's caring for the least of these. This is the work of peacemaking, to be sure, but it takes lots and lots and lots and lots of practice. And the small stuff counts. If we're going to be good at making space for the big stuff, the small stuff has to count. Thank you. I recently listened to a TED Talk by Shonda Rhimes called My Year of Saying Yes to Everything. Has anyone ever? Yeah? So good. In it, she talks about her achievements in TV and beyond, which are significant, but mostly she shares about her year of saying yes to everything that scared her, which included some really big, amazing opportunities, by the way. And the yes, she also talks about the yes that ends up changing her life completely. So of all the huge things that this titan of a woman is a part of, which include, in her words, four television programs, 70 hours of TV, three shows in production at a time, sometimes four, 16 episodes going on at all times, $350 million spent for us each season. Out of Everything in her life she's involved with, all her opportunities and blessings, the yes, she says, most significantly impacted her life was her commitment to say yes every time one of her daughters asked her to play. This is the yes that changed her life. This small yes. This promise to do something totally ordinary. This is what she counted as her biggest win in her life. I say this to remind all of us, to remind myself, that the little stuff is the big stuff. I feel like I say this all the time. The little stuff is the big stuff. Your small yeses and your noes sometimes can be a part of making space for much bigger and better stuff, and not just in your life, but also in that entire peacemaking collective of bringing heaven to earth. This is why making space is holy work. So, when evaluating your use of time this Lenten season, think about your own personal goals, yes. But also consider using the work of reconciliation as a measure for your motivations. Our text, not only were we given the message of reconciliation, but we are also ambassadors of God in all that we do. We are people of God in this world, and it says it in the text, God makes God's appeal to the world through us. And every moment of every day, with no time off, we are ambassadors. So what are we doing with our time? Where and what in our lives do we need to clean up and clear out in order to make better use of our time? What changes do we need to make? I invite you to spend this week and the rest of the season of Lent thinking about it and going for it, whatever it may be. And hey, if you fail, Congrats, you're not an alien. <laughs> Begin again. If you fail, give yourself the same grace God has already given you and begin again. God has entrusted us. God's spirit goes with us even in this small task. Let's rise to the occasion. We can make space in our lives by reconsidering our choices in a way that will reverberate outward to the rest of the world. We can declutter our lives. We can be full we can be happy, we can know God right now, and we don't have to wait for a big celebration welcome home party to be sure about it. The gift is already here. No time lost, no time wasted. 
Let's open it up. Amen.